This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. We're here today on the Knowledge of Wharton podcast talking with some new Wharton faculty members. I'm Rachel Kipp, Associate Editorial Director of the Knowledge of Wharton website, and we're here with Tim Landvoit, a Wharton finance professor. Tim, thanks for being with us today. Thank you for having me. So, Tim, could you tell us a little bit about some of the areas of focus of your research? Sure. Um, so one, one of the areas that I do research in is housing and mortgage finance. And uh, I have several papers that um, are concerned with the question, what were the main drivers of the housing boom in the uh, early 2000s? And, you know, the candidate explanations that people have come up with are cheap credit, easy access to credit, um, and high house price expectations, so expectations about large future gains in house prices. And um, broadly speaking, I have several papers that come to the conclusion that um, cheap credit and easy access to credit is, is enough to generate a housing boom of this size. You don't need exuberant expectations about, about future house prices. Um, and uh, kind of one of the main insights empirically of, the, of these papers is that um, we saw the larger, a larger housing boom, a larger price gain in the low-quality segment of the housing market. So relatively, initially relatively cheap houses experienced much larger price gains than the high end of the market. And that is consistent with the theory that um, the relaxation of, of credit constraints and cheap credit um, was the primary driver of housing demand for relatively less wealthy people who were then the natural buyers of these relatively cheaper houses. So we saw a larger housing boom there. And the housing boom much, was much smaller in the high-quality segments of the market. Now, one of the things that's kind of come out of that housing crisis has been what to do and where to go next with Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. And you have a paper that looks at that. Could you talk a little bit about what you studied with that paper and a little bit about what some of your key takeaways were? Yeah, sure. That paper is called Phasing Out the GSEs, which is a somewhat provocative title. But what we're really, really looking at in that paper is um, whether we should increase the guarantee fee um, that these um, government-sponsored enterprises charge banks when they sell the loans in the secondary market. Um, and our conclusion is that that guarantee fee has been much too low historically, which was basically a very large subsidy um, to mortgages originated by banks that, that, that then sold to Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. And um, we show... Theoretically, that that would provide incentives for banks um, to take on more risk in other areas of their balance sheet because we're removing a lot of risk from the mortgage part, so then the banks search for that risk somewhere else. So the conclusion is that we should increase those G fees to the extent that they um, are a fair insurance fee for the risk in these mortgages. And actually, um, to some extent, um, the GSEs have already adopted such... uh, policies. Now, what would be, I mean, as it seems like policymakers are still talking about, I mean, so many years after the crisis, they're still talking about, should anything be done with Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac? Should things change? What could we do to make sure that something like the the housing crisis doesn't happen again? What kind of um, practical implications do you feel like this paper has for that? Like, what could policymakers take away from it, or even banks? Yeah, so to the extent that they have already increased the overall level of the GSE fee, and they're charging these GSE fees or these guarantee fees already more conditional on the true riskiness of the loans. Um, Those are already steps in the right direction. But I think the paper actually goes further and says that 
um, it might not be ideal for the government to guarantee the risk of these mortgages. If the government wants to subsidize housing or housing affordability, it should do it in some other more direct way and not kind of through this indirect way that um, basically messes with the incentives for banks to, um, you know, take on too much risk. So I, I think the, the the overall takeaway is like if you want to subsidize housing, um, don't do it through a guarantee fee for for mortgage originations, but just you know increase the mortgage interest rate deduction or right a just, tax or something just, like that. Yes, exactly, something more salient and, and direct. Now, where are you going next with your research? What are some of the things that you're looking at right now? Yeah, so another interesting project that is related to this whole. Um, area of housing and mortgages that I'm working on is uh, about shared appreciation mortgages or shared home equity mortgages. So, you know, the standard mortgage contract, um, 80% of all mortgages in the U.S. are fixed rate mortgages, either 30 or 15 year uh, fixed rate mortgages. And um, these mortgages are basically debt contracts. So you have to repay a fixed amount, a fixed principal amount. Um, over that amortizes over 15 or 30 years, which means that if the value of your house drops a lot, like it did during the crisis, then you might have negative home equity, you might be underwater, and that gives you incentives to, to default. Uh, an alternative mortgage contract might be one where the bank explicitly takes on some of this mortgage risk. So basically, if your house price drops a lot, then the ma- bank will automatically mark down the mortgage principal that you owe but also, you know, if your house appreciates a lot, then the bank will get a share of that. So we basically shift some of this risk to the bank, which will then avoid foreclosures and defaults and crises. But of course, it will also make the mortgage more expensive ex ante because the bank will have to charge the homeowners for, um, for the risk. So there are several considerations here. Um, on the one hand, it might be good because we're avoiding these foreclosures and defaults. But on the other hand, we're now saddling the banking system explicitly with this risk. So if banks are already kind of capital constrained or worried about having too much risk on their balance sheet, they might actually not want to make these loans or they might be become too expensive. So we're basically trying to figure out, uh, again, in kind of a um, large calibrated macro model, um, which of these effects dominates. Is it good or bad? Um, overall to to offer these contracts in the market more. Tim, thanks so much for being with us today. You can find all of Knowledge at Wharton's podcasts on our website, knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. You can also subscribe to Knowledge at Wharton's feed on iTunes. And if you like what you hear, please give us a review. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. 